Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And today's film is our first ever Pod Me If You Can by request. We're always looking to discuss films that you guys are into, so if you want to suggest a film to us, uh, head to our Pod Me If You Can Facebook page, like the page, and suggest a film there. One of our listeners, Ryan Gooley, has suggested today's film, Melancholia. It's directed by Lars von Trier and stars Kirsten Dunst. The film is getting a lot of Oscar buzz for her performance, and uh, Empire Magazine and At The Movies with Margaret and David both gave it five stars. So, Lloyd, what did you think? I liked it. Um, I've seen a lot of Lars von Trier's work before, um, and this film, like, so I was used to that kind of pacing, and I, I knew pretty much already when, where the subject matter was going. He was going to go into those heavy, heavy, strange and dramatic scenes. He's going to, you know, probably delve into, like, just from the title itself, he's probably going to delve into some sort of depression theme or, or something like that. And uh, what, I, what I like when his um, name is attached to a title is what stars is he getting and where is he going to take them? And Kirsten Dunst, I only know her really from uh, that cheerleading movie and Bring it uh, on, yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, Spider Man. I think Spider-Man. she was a love interest in that. Mary Jane. Um, and I was like, going, okay, Kirsten Dunst. And I heard a bit about her before, you know, what, what, how awesome her performance was in this movie. And then watching it, I was really blown away. I was like, wow, okay, you know. And then I was seeing a lot of um, her surrounded with a lot of Lars von Trier's regulars that he usually gets um, with his films. And she was, you know, handled really well, I thought. Charlotte uh, Gainsborough, I think you pronounce it, she played the sister Claire, Kirsten Dunst played Justine, and I think Charlotte Gainsborough was in uh, Antichrist, the last well, one. Oh, I haven't actually seen that one, but no, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty I sure she's I haven't seen it either, yeah. but she's the lead in that one. Mm. Um, I sort of thought five stars says to me that the film is perfect. Oh, people were giving it five stars. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. The, so the movie show uh, with Margaret and David and... And the latest Empire magazine both gave it five stars. No, it's, even Lars von Trier wasn't happy with this film entirely. Like, it, it's definitely not up there with his best film. But comparing it to a lot of films, like, it's one of a kind. Like, very rarely you see, like, normally these end-of-world movies, and I've seen a lot of these end-of-world movies, particularly uh, Andre Tarkovsky's Offret, I think it's called The Sacrifice, um which is about, you know, uh, an upper-class family living in the countryside and apocalypse is happening around them. And so it's very familiar. You're very familiar to t- um, territory. It's nothing new I haven't seen, but uh, in, a, in, in this modern age, um, it's, you know, Armageddon of deep impact and yeah. stuff. It's great to see it handled so differently. Um, you know, it's really about the people. It's really about uh, how they handle this. And, uh, uh you know, what a lot of people don't talk about, I guess, is the special effects. I thought it blended so beautifully with that earth coming and it was amazing. It was really, really good. This podcast might sort of become a bit of a companion piece with our other podcast about uh, the Tree of Life because there's oh, all yeah. this sort of space imagery of uh, planets and the world ending in the Tree of Life versus this as well. I like that opening he used where he pretty much sets out the table at the beginning and I, I wasn't my mind was really drifting at it because I had no idea what was going on. You know, these long, long slow motion shots and then shots of the planet. I'm like, oh, is that Earth getting destroyed? So, yeah, you know, Earth gets destroyed right at the beginning and you're just like, okay. And then we flash back um, to it. But I quickly forgot that. And then I, at the end when, you know, everything is destroyed, I, I quickly realized I had to put myself back at the wedding and how everyone was talking to each other. I'm like, oh, that's right because... The world is in, the ending of the world is impending, you it's, know. It's yeah, so it really uh, 
really dictated the drama, didn't it? Um, how everyone was feeling and where everyone was going and... Yeah, but I think in part one, which is Justine's wedding, they didn't realize the end of the world was happening. I think oh, right. at the beginning of the first part, she looks up and sees that planet, and then it's gone by the end, sure. as if to say this melancholia planet has knocked into it and destroyed it, and that it's sort of coming towards Earth. But I don't think anybody's aware of it till the second part. So, oh right, yeah, because I just thought it was such an awful wedding, and the guest reaction to me was so bland and I know there's this feeling of destruction with everyone I thought it was very strange and then when the end of the world was coming I thought that okay maybe they all thought the end of the world was coming that, that's how I interpret but yeah you're right like it was very far away mm. and she was like oh what, what's happened to that sun you know and oh what is it the star what's happened to that star yeah, yeah, yeah. and then uh, in the second part as well you've got Kiefer Sutherland predicting that it's going to miss so at that stage I think everybody still thinks it's not going to hit Earth yeah so. yeah uh, we'll, we'll break it down from the beginning. Uh, what did you think of these long intro with all the slow motion shots, which I think I read were a thousand frames a second wow. cameras uh, when she was trudging and getting caught in all the vines at the beginning with the birds falling around her and uh, Charlotte Gainsborough's character sinking into, into the, the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, at first I liked it. It hooked me and then I was almost falling asleep. I was like, oh, hurry up. <laughs> Too <That's> long. Right. <laughs> I, I think it went for about 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. 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 Really basing it out. You're Absolutely. Just like, oh. <laughs> um, no, I, I liked the style. Yeah. I thought it would have been more interesting had they shown one or two of those. You know, show her sinking into the ground and then go, oh, weird. What's going on there? And then the electricity. Yeah, yeah. Which was strange. I, I still can't really place what exactly was going on there. The There's some sort of logic with the atmosphere, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I haven't dug too deep into that. Um, but sort of, I thought it would have been cool to see a few shots, like the birds falling out of the sky, her trudging in the wedding dress, which never really happened. Mm. Um, that was like something that she mentioned that that was how she felt. Mm. So that was like a shot from her subconscious. Yeah. And if you had a few shots like that, you might think that that was all her subconscious and it was all stuff that she was putting together based on how she felt. Yeah, you yeah. You get sort of an insight into her mind. But then when they show the sort of planet-hitting business, I thought that was too much information. Right. At the beginning of the film to tell us the world will end and then obviously leading up to what we already know, the world will end, it makes all the characters seem worse. Yeah, yeah. It makes everybody seem like they're out of the loop, that scientists couldn't predict that this planet would hit or even that there was a chance. Yeah. You know, or whether they were burying it so that nobody knew, you know, so that like uh, the human race would be protected and nobody would think about it and everyone would be day-to-day lives, no riots. So sort of don't panic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought too much information because if you say everyone's going to die at the beginning of a film and then you make us watch them all yeah, yeah. lead up to their death. You're asking a lot for us to care. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's, it's never a good film when the audience knows more than the characters. Yeah. You want to still want to know more about them and what's going to happen to them. And I think it kills the third act a little bit for me. Mm. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Um, with, with the whole world dying at the end and it was, you know... Um, uh, well, I actually thought when uh, Kiefer Sutherland sa- was saying that um, it was going to go away. Is it Kiefer Sutherland or Donald Sutherland? Kiefer, it's kind of Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Donald Sutherland's the father. His father yeah. um, you know, it was definitely going to pass us. And then that night ends where the, nothing happened. The planet didn't kill him. And then, you know, he's, you know, it's a wonderful morning afterwards. I thought, oh, 
okay, maybe the start was false, you yeah. know, because the sinking of the boots thing didn't happen. So maybe I thought, uh, you know. Was uh, it all in her head? Yeah, yeah, was it all in her and, head? And if they'd just shown all the opening shots, even though I think it was too long, all the slow motion ones mm. except the planet hitting, I think that would have been more effective. Yeah, because yeah. then you would keep wondering. What, what, I kept what is thinking happening? the yeah. whole time, the planet's going to hit, they're all going to die. I'm waiting for that to happen. Yeah. And uh, he sort of, I, I, it's having that ending, do you think he handled that well? With everyone sitting under a tree or a um, handmade thing, it, it's so hard to handle. Like, it's just like, okay, they're all going to die. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll just sit them out in the field and let the special effects department take over. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think this was handled more romantically yeah. than like um, Deep Impact and Armageddon and stuff, um, which obviously just blockbuster films. Um, how was the film you mentioned, The Sacrifice one? How was that handled? Oh, uh, well, very interestingly. Um, he basically asks God, could you please um, could, could you please fix this and I will never speak ever again. And he wakes up and everything's back like as if the, that day didn't happen. Like everyone's going, oh, are you coming down for dinner? And, he, and he's just walking around so shocked and he doesn't speak. He ends up burning all his possessions and everything like that. It's fantastic. Yeah, wow. um, yeah but that was, that's an exception. That was, I thought that was handled brilliantly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a really interesting genre. And that the fact that the world could end in this manner, mm. um, you know, at any time we could be, we could collide oh, into yeah. something into yeah. our atmosphere. I and mean, there's a whole massive galaxies and galaxies above us. And, you know, you don't know what's coming. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I think it's like a real possibility. And it, it's interesting, just recently NASA's found, um, I think it's NASA or some telescopes found another planet that's very similar to Earth mm. um, uh, a fair bit away. Um, and it looks eerily similar to Melancholia, the planet that's oh, coming wow. to us. Like, oh. <laughs> um, I wanted to mention something quickly. Um, at the beginning of the film, when it showed Lars von Trier's Melancholia, the yep. title card, um, it looked as if... A kid had wrote it? Yeah, but in feces. It was just sort of brown. <sighs> it wouldn't and, surprise you. <laughs> yeah. I actually did notice that. Yeah, yeah. And it seemed really out of place in this kind of Hollywood movie that he'd made. It's for his first Hollywood movie, really, I mean... Every other film he's done has been more experimental, like the ones that I've seen anyway. I just wanted to touch on that title card. It seems strangely out of place. It, it does. And I didn't even think having the other title cards, like they were on a different font from memory. They weren't written in the feces. So Melancholia, yeah. the, yep. the title of the movie is written in that style. Yep. And then was it part one? They actually had a part one and then they actually had a part two. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. seeing a part two. Yeah, we'll yeah. jump into it because the film was in two parts. Yeah, I, I didn't feel that was necessary. Mm. Um, when it said, I think it was part two, Claire. Part like, one, Justine, part two, Claire. Yeah, I didn't feel like any of the parts were dedicated to that one Personally. character. Um, I thought it was spread out, well, not evenly, but, you know, you really felt the presence of each character and you really felt who were the main characters sort of thing. Well, I'll just discuss really quickly... Um, Lars von Trier's previous film with Nicole Kidman, Dogville. Oh, yep, I've Have seen, that. seen that one. Yep. Um, that film is divided up, I think it's into 10 parts. Right. And from memory, each part, um, it's voiceovered by Malcolm McDowell, I believe. Mm -hmm. And he basically says, part one, in which Grace finds the town and does this and does that. And then each part ruins what you're about to see. And I thought it was a really unnecessary way of, it sort of ruined Dogville for me because it says, you know, and this isn't exact word for word or anything, but it says uh, part one in which Grace kills so-and-so and finds a new place to live, you know, and you're, then you're just waiting for her to kill so-and-so yeah, yeah. and find a place to live so you can do the next part. 
It was a really interesting structure. Yeah, yeah. And this feels like it's a bit of a hang-up from that film. Sure. Like he's, he's interested in doing films in parts, that's fair enough. But it's like you say, part one wasn't just about Justine. Yeah. And part two wasn't just about Claire. And I thought... Well, it was really unnecessary. Yeah. You could just blend the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. You could have taken out both those title cards and it would have just been a film in itself. Yeah. Completely unnecessary. Um, all these things go towards my I don't think it's a five-star movie yeah. argument. Yeah. Um, basically, the first part with Justine, um, they showed everything at her wedding. But there was a scene where she walks in and sees Claire talking to her husband. And Claire says something to her and she storms out. And I was wondering what they were talking about right before she walked in. And then I thought, oh, maybe part two or part three, I wasn't sure how many would be. Would go back and explain that. Would do the other side of things. It would show everything Claire was doing throughout the wedding. And every time Kirsten Dunst walked away, it would show what Claire had to deal with and all that sort of stuff. And then I thought maybe there would be a third part, which would be like kind of an epilogue where the planet would hit and everything. And I, I considered both sides of the same night. And I felt like it had pieces missing, you know, it was like fill in the blanks and, and do your own work. And I found that frustrating. Yeah, so. he really was strict about not giving us, like even the guests were really oblivious. We only knew what her boss, um, that poor young kid following Kirsten Dunst everywhere trying to get the tagline of the yeah. ad. Um, they didn't seem to have many friends. No, yeah. Um, it was an awful wedding as well. Oh, oh it's horrible. <laughs> All right, so first off, they were late for their own reception. Yeah. There was this sort of unnecessary horse scene, which I guess kind of pays off a little bit later when she goes and visits her horse and then she's riding a horse and that sort of stuff. Nobody's talking to her. Nobody's congratulating her. It's horrible. Yeah. Um, I found it really weird that they weren't the center of attention, that they didn't wait for them to get there before starting the cake cutting and things like and that. Two hours late. It's never explained why they were so late. Actually, she seems quite happy at the beginning of the film when she's in the car and they're trying to get the car around that tight corner yeah. and it's a limousine. She seems to be quite enjoying that kind of moment of nonsense, if you will. Yeah. Um, but it was just a lot of shaky camera work at the reception as well. Which Yeah, he's employing, uh, that, that's typical for Lars von Tree. He mm-hmm. likes that. And it gives that rawness to the drama, I guess. I, I guess so. But also, I mean, it makes you feel a little bit nauseous. Yeah. And uncomfortable, certainly. I mean, it did add to the level of uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what did you think of her constantly leaving her own wedding? Oh, it got annoying after a while. <laughs> it was just like, oh, what's, you know, but I think that goes to depression. It goes to um, that, that theme of melancholy that she's just going to keep, you know, her mood swings are just there. And, and you realize very quickly she's not a normal girl. She's sick. There is mm. something wrong. Um, they never specifically say it's depression. They say um, she's not well. Yeah, she's, she's not well. well. They never, which is clever. Yeah. Um, and so it really projects you in her mindset. And that awful mother who played was played brilliantly. Charlotte Rampling. Yeah, yeah. Him. She was in the verdict and everything. Oh, she was great. And um, John Hurt was the dad. Yeah. Um, he seemed uh, to call everybody Betty. <laughs> what was he calling everybody Betty? I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, if he had mental problems and was calling everybody Betty, I found it weird that the two people sitting either side of him had place cards that said Betty as well. It was almost as if they'd done that so he would think that they were Betty yeah. or something. But, yeah. Never quite explained. But yeah, I really felt something about her, uh, how uh, she was thinking about her depression. I was really, I really felt like I was in her state, particularly in the scene where she's frustrated and taking down all these paintings. It's a bit pretentious. And then putting up more um, dramatic paintings rather than like, you know, uh, contemporary artworks or thing. Um, 
but yeah, the mood swings. It's after a while, you're just like, oh, where's she going to go now? <laughs> yeah, she went to the golf course and just urinated. Yeah. Which, I don't know if that's something that depressed people do. I don't yeah, know I think she was, uh, like, I think that scene was a comment on how she felt about uh, Kiefer Sutherland's yeah. um, uh, wealth estate. and everything. Yeah, yeah. estate, yeah. But she was, um, you know, peeing on his wealth. Um, she went to put her nephew to bed. She took a nap and she took a bath and she um, she just didn't want to be at the wedding at all. Obviously, she'd um, considered it wouldn't work from the beginning, which begs the question, why would you get married in the first place? Yeah, and all this wealth and money and beauty just, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just something within. All the money you throw at it won't fix it sort of thing. It's weird as well. All the guests were just standing around waiting with no music playing. Yeah. If it was such a well-organized wedding, wouldn't there be a band or somebody? Oh, well, most of the guests staying there, they weren't, were they? I, feel, I, mean, I felt like a hotel, like your room yeah. is ready, this yep. is ready, and yeah. Well, a lot of the time I was thinking, what time is it? Because they're two hours late, they were supposed to do something, it was midnight, it was one, it was like later and later and later, and everyone just kind of stood around, like nobody seemed to leave, everyone was just loitering, and it was just a weird kind of limbo. They all were, like I thought the only character I was going to sympathise with would be Claire and uh, Kiefer Sutherland, but uh, at the end of it, I didn't like anyone, really, Mm. like... um Makes, yeah. It makes it interesting because it's, if it's a five-star film, and I'm going to keep coming back to this, <laughs> then I'm kind of thinking you should at least like some characters. Yeah. Or at least be rooting for them all to make it, you know, whereas here it's very difficult to like anybody. Um, I wanted to talk about there's one shot at the beginning where she's floating down the river in her wedding dress on her back. And I can't even motion. remember that. It's actually the poster as well, and it's taken from a painting um, of Ophelia. Oh, yep, yeah, from, um, from uh, Hamlet. Uh, no, that's from Othello. Oh, no, that's from Hamlet. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure it's Hamlet. Yeah, it? yeah, that's Hamlet. Um, yeah, and just she's sort of singing before she drowns in a river in Denmark. Mm. And um, I believe Lars von Trier is Danish. Yeah, that's right. So yep. I'm going to tie in with that. I just thought that was quite an interesting... I can't even remember that. My gosh. It's yeah, actually yeah. the poster of the film as well. Right, yeah. It's a really iconic shot was of Was that her. part of the slow motion? Yeah. Oh, it was. Beginning. Okay, sure. It, it That's what, probably when I tuned out. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably not wrong. I thought that was really interesting to touch on um, on that painting and yep. just whether it was like a little nod to his heritage. Or sure. Something. No, no. Uh, absolutely. And Ophelia does get sick in Hamlet. She becomes mentally destroyed when... Hamlet himself leaves her there and, you know, up in the open, does, does Hamlet love her or not? And she goes sort of insane and, yeah, that parallels that exactly. Yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right. Um, they had a couple of nods in the script as well to the world they were in. Um, they mentioned the most expensive wedding planner on the planet, which I thought you just mentioned the planet was interesting. And as well, they had, I um, feel like the luckiest man on earth. Yeah. You know, they were sort of... You know, leading up to this impending, you know, world-sized event, I yeah. guess. Just a quick couple of nods. I thought that was very clever in the script. So we've we've talked about the mother, uh, Gabby. Yeah. Played by Charlotte Rampling. Horrible. Yeah. <laughs> a horrible person. Yeah. She, she play, perfect actress. She has those savage eyes, you yeah. know, that's... Oh. <laughs> Unromantic. Doesn't yeah. believe in marriage. Um, I wondered whether or not she knew about the end of the world. Um, I'll talk about this a little bit now, but the fact that um, Kirsten Dunst's character says she knows things. Yeah, implies there was that implication, yeah, yeah, that she had special some sort of, yeah, yeah, abilities, which yeah. we'll talk about later. But do you think that Charlotte Rampling's character also knew and that maybe reflected in her views? 
Yeah, possibly, or she's just a really nasty, depressed lady. <laughs> and you can really see where the kids, you, you know, from meeting her at that wedding scene, you can really tell what kind of a life they grew up with, like yeah. parents living apart and her own ideologies really being pushed to them. And, you mm. know, oh, poor girl. It took me a while to figure out who Kiefer Sutherland was there with, like whether he was, like, we obviously know now he's married oh, to yeah. Charlotte Rampling and they have a child and stuff. But it took me a little while because he's not really clearly defined right away so you're sort of thinking oh is he supposed to be married to Charlotte Rampling or yeah. is he another brother do they have a brother is that him you know it wasn't really clear yeah. again kind of the muddled up beginning yeah. of the film yeah that's right but I was thinking like just to touch on this one more time is the reason she's so negative the same reason Kirsten Dunst is depressed and negative and why there's no point doing any of this stuff did the gift skip Charlotte Rampling's character, I know Charlotte Rampling, um, Charlotte Gainsborough's character, and yeah. just um, the mum and Kirsten Dunst's yeah, no, know about it. No, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely, it was just glazed over, the, the gift, so to speak. But yeah, yeah no, definitely. Um, she she got the, if, like people say depression's a disease, like um, she would have been the one that got it, rather not, not her sister, you know, mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, if she did know about the end of the world, that for me says why she sort of gave up and went and took a bath and all that sort yeah. of stuff. There was some moments of humour in there as well. The wedding planner, for example, how he said, uh, oh, she has ruined my wedding. I will not look at her. And he puts his yeah, hand yeah, he up puts his hand. his face. Ridiculous. <laughs> I was thinking... He was great. <laughs> the, the most um, expensive wedding planner in history, if that's who he is. Right. He's also the most sort of unbelievable character because he's been paid already. Yeah. Even if this wedding is over and ruined and whatever, he's still getting his money. I yeah. just thought it was ridiculous. It was like a, an art form to him. <laughs> I found him to be the most unrealistic character. Sure. Um, just but too much. Yeah. yeah. Just sort of there for comic relief, mm -hmm. and he didn't, wasn't even there that much. No, so he no. was just walking around with his. He's hand definitely. Up. I, can't, I can't believe I forget his name, but he's a you know European actor that they use. You see his face, you go, "Oh, it's that guy." Yeah, I've seen him before. <laughs> but yeah, I can't place him either. Sure. Um, it's interesting that she doesn't keep that photo of the orchard. Yeah, I didn't get that as well, and She's, I felt sorry for the husband that he's married to. He seemed like the most likable guy, particularly when he gave that speech. He goes, oh, I don't give speeches. It's so real. Yeah. <laughs> and he's played by, um, I think it's Alexander Skarsgård or something. Okay. Uh, he's from True Blood. He looks like young Viggo Mortensen, doesn't he? I'm pretty sure Stellan Skarsgård is his dad. Okay. And that's the guy who played the boss, um, who was trying to get the tagline. Oh, the is a famous um, oh, Swedish actor, is he? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's sure. phenomenal. He's he's a typical, he's been in a lot of Lars von Trier films, yeah. Yeah. He's he's. Yeah, I just saw him in a recent film, King, King Arthur. <laughs> Played this villain in that one. <laughs> um, just the fact that she doesn't keep the photo of the orchard um, immediately cuts him. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, uh, it says that she's detached from everything. And just the fact that she, she can see nothing really means anything to her, at least. Um, and if we go with the theory that she's psychic and then she knows the world is ending... What's the point in keeping this? What's the point of making this marriage work, you know? Yeah, it's like, it wondered to me about the backstory. Did they just get married? Like, was he paid or something, like, to make her happy? Let's get married. Like, I, I just can't believe that these two would have got married, would have went that far. Like, he would have saw trouble from the get-go. Oh, I don't yeah. know. It just seemed, just didn't seem real. Well, there, is that, yeah. there is that scene where Kiefer Sutherland's character, John, he, um, 
he basically sort of implies money can buy happiness. He's sort of obviously rich. He's um, got this estate. They've gone to some trouble to make this wedding happen. And he's, he's frustrated, doesn't yeah. Absolutely. And he says, uh, oh, do we have a deal? And um, she says that they do and, uh, you know, asks if she's happy and stuff. And she says, of course I am and stuff. And there's a lot of emphasis in this film about being happy for a film about sort of depression and stuff. Yeah. No, definitely. I, I completely and utterly agree. Like uh, Kiefer Sutherland embodies like the, the character that believes, the people that believe that once you hit wealth, you're going to be happy no matter what. And he's married to this girl with his family that, you know, no matter how much money he throws at them, it's not going to make him happy. It's not going to come up with this cure. Um, and he's realizing that, I think, mm. um, slowly. And it's so frustrating for him. Oh, yeah. my God. Well, let's talk about the boss again for a second. Yep. Stellan Skarsgård, I believe he is. He's also famous for being in the Pirates of the Caribbean, second and third Oh, okay, films. yeah, the father. The, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's got yeah. that, um, what do you call it, uh, starfish on his face. He's um, one of the, you know, dead men on the ship. He's phenomenal. He's yeah. a really good actor. Well, he's making Tim Hassler walk around following her all, all throughout her wedding. Also a horrible person. Yeah. Because you think that you could leave her alone for her wedding kind of thing, you know, regardless of her issues and that sort of thing. I thought um, it was really interesting. Did you see the bit where he puts up the, the thing and he says, let's all think about a tagline? Yeah. Like <laughs> he could take a tagline. Just like, geez, at the wedding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he says, uh, she can't stop working, even on her wedding night. You know, he just boomingly kind of, uh, you know, announces this stuff. And when she does that speech where she hates her boss and she basically resigns. Really tells him. Says, yeah, yeah. yeah, how despicable he is and everything. I just thought that was good. hungry little man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, there were a lot of scenes like that where she had something to do or say where I thought, oh, wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. It's the scenes where she seemingly wasn't doing anything that I was questioning. Because I, I saw this film and I thought... Um, beforehand I'd heard all about the Oscar bars and stuff. And so I was waiting to see those powerful scenes, which would tell me that she was Oscar worthy, you know, and there were a few of them. I thought definitely, but, um, I was sitting there watching and a lot of the time she's completely detached. She doesn't have to do anything. And I was sort of thinking, this isn't really, it's maybe a nominated performance, but I don't think she could win. Ma maybe it. that's part of the, because the biggest element was embodying depression. I think that was like, although it's not, announce that she has depression as you say um she's Illness. sick yeah yeah she's, she has, she's, she's Ill. ill she's not yeah. well and i and i think she really captures depression like I, I don't know much about depression i've met some people that have got it but i'm assuming it's that mood swing that oblivious look like and she did have it in her face like nothing matters and the way she walked her shoulders were really down and then there were moments where she's happy and then quickly down again you know it was, it was the mood swings it was the mood swings yeah. and you know i think that's what um, people were talking about like um but yeah as you say there wasn't many scenes which she had an opportunity to explode mm. um like a great um a monologue or a great um uh well she did have a great physical scene actually <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to say um i'm comparing this to in 1999 they gave an oscar to angelina jolie mm -hmm. for the film girl interrupted i haven't seen that okay. yeah. in that film she um she had a lot to do she had to really in just take on this mentally um, deranged person with all these ideas and and basically play this psychotic person mm. and she totally got it and deserving of the Oscar. But I thought there was just, I know depression is a completely different kind of disease, but I really sort of questioned whether or not this was like, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we know as much as we know yeah. about the script and everything. Um, 
we'll talk more about it as we go throughout this. Yeah. Um, let's touch on the paper lantern sequence where yeah. they sort of let all the paper lanterns into the air. Beautiful. Yeah. Loved it. And they had that sort of operatic music and the galaxy shots. And um, was really weird to me after that, they had the scene where Claire, the sister, again, I would have been great to see what she'd been doing all the time because they got up on the balcony and she didn't throw the bouquet. And then the sister Yeah, the sister it. grabbed it. There was no backstory then. The crowd applauses. Yeah, they applauded. Yeah, yeah I'm just like, well, what happened? <laughs> Another really unrealistic element. I don't think anybody would clap. I feel like it would be awkward and maybe one person would start to clap, like John Hurt, because he was sort of senile. He wasn't sure what was going on. He thought everybody was Betty, thought both his daughters were Betty or whatever. You know, it was just sort of bizarre. A bizarre way to end the wedding. And that was, let's guess, 4 a.m. or something. Yeah. You know, because what the heck time is it? <laughs> I wanted to talk about the awkward wedding night. Yeah. Um, what did you think? I mean... It, it was uh, like dramatic. Uh, the dramatic elements of it were great. It was handled really well with great skill by Lars von Trier. Uh, it just got so exhausting for me, the bouncing her in and out, you know, yeah. all the time. Oh, now they're having a bath. Is she going to come? This is ridiculous. She's not coming to cut the cake. Yeah. You know, where is she now? And It did go on a little bit. Yeah, it did go on a little bit. I, I get that. That's depression, the mood yeah. swings and all that. It doesn't end. Sure. Yeah, but I thought it was an ugly wedding. It was a terrible, awful wedding. I would hate to have been a guest there. Yeah. Do you um, think that's what they're going for? Yeah, though? yeah. yeah. I mean, that's definitely what they're going for. Yeah. He's chosen to, to have this shaky camera work and these horrible characters yeah, that sort of stuff. and it was really a stab at that upper class, wasn't it? It was just yeah. like, these are really awful people. <laughs> I just want to say, they're not. it's not a film I, I hated. Sure. I just don't think it was worth five stars. Yeah, well, I didn't know it had five stars, and now that, uh, I didn't know it got that much praise, um, mm. and I'm still shocked thinking about it, going, it's not a five-star film for me. I think yeah. people are just so impressed that a film like this hasn't come out in a long, long time, and when it does... People are like, oh my gosh, this film's amazing, it's one of a kind. But yeah. if you look back, you know, 40 years and stuff, you, there's been heaps of films like this, you know. Yeah, a lot of films deal with the end of the world. Yeah, a lot of the end of the world. And the drama was, for me, really familiar ground. Um, Lars von Trier is, like I've seen uh, Breaking the Wave, um, which, uh, you know, was really familiar territory for me. I also wondered a little bit whether or not the end of the world was going to be something that was happening in her mind, you know, whether it was the end of her world. Sure. And then whether at the end we would see a shot of her, she had cut her wrists in a bathtub or something, you know, ended her own life because depression was too much. Mm -hmm. And the melancholia planet was really just in her mind mm -hmm. and stuff. And, and I, during part one, I was questioning whether or not this was actually happening. And this whole... The whole wedding. No, no, the wedding was happening. Yeah. But due to her depression, she was acting irrationally. And then I thought in part two or part three... In part one, I'm thinking part two was still the other side of this wedding and that why waste this beautiful set and all this stuff to not show the other things that were happening. Mm -hmm. And then when part two was all about the planet coming to hit and that sort of business, I knew that I was wrong. Sure. But I was still hopeful at the beginning that we would see this portrait of depression, and I guess we did. Yep. In part one, we did. But then part two was different. Yeah, it sort um, of spun away from that, didn't it? And it was about a family dealing with the end of the world, dealing with Armageddon. I guess when you look at it and say part one is about Justine and part two is about Claire. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the thing about that is, are they both sort of equally billed? I don't think so. No. I think this is Kirsten Dunst's film and the other one's a supporting actress. Definitely. Wouldn't Definitely. be nominated for best actress if she was worthy. She would be supporting actress. Anyway. That wedding night, 
um, the husband trying to undress her and surely regretting the marriage himself at this point yeah. because on their wedding night, you know, it's sort of almost a guarantee that this, this would, you know, evolve yeah, into yeah. intercourse. Yeah. Basically, outside later, he says this could have been a lot different and she agrees. Now, this is worse than the Kardashian <laughs> wedding, isn't it? Not? <laughs> yeah, it lasted a whole... Barely a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah, it was bizarre because yeah. when you think about it, they left and they took all their bags and they just gave up. Moments before, hours before, if you will, um, be together, better or worse, death do us part, then the next morning, we gave it a shot. Could have been better. Ridiculous. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. But it, again, it made me think like um, when the end of the world was happening, I had to backtrack and think, okay, those guests maybe thought there was a strong possibility that the end of the world was coming and then that's the reason for the drama. Yeah, no. I don't know. That, that's that's why, because it just seems so bizarre to me. Again, so unreal that those two would get married. Like, yeah. surely you would have seen the warning bells before, yeah. you know, this wedding. Yeah, And that's the thing. I, I also thought, like... It felt like he was paid. You know, we can make this work, okay. you know, by Kiefer Sutherland. I, I don't know. Just, yeah. Yeah, in this, in this day and age, it seems a bit bizarre that he would accept money to you know, get married to her and sort of thing. And you feel like maybe even if they had a past, she, he was saying, sometimes you're sad, here's an orchard, maybe you won't be so sad, we can move there and we can be happy and stuff. And if she does know about the end of the world, then she's saying, well, that's a waste of time. Yes. Yeah. We won't have time to do anything. and We'll never see the trees grow and all that sort of stuff. And he didn't seem to handle her mood swings well. He, I don't know. He, he just didn't seem like a person who was familiar. This was familiar territory. Like I've been with her for two years, let's get married, and I know how to handle it. It didn't seem like it at all. It was always the mm. sister running in there. I know, it felt like a, a last-minute wedding. You guys get married, it'd be really happy, and this is what we'll do before the end of the world. Yeah. I don't know. But no, no, they didn't know it was the end of the world. They didn't know it was the end Obviously, of the, world. the sister reacted a lot differently when she found out the planet was going to hit later. Um, I, I found it bizarre. One more little quote. When Kirsten Dunst says, but Michael, what did you expect? And then says, you're right. And I was thinking, why get married at all? Obviously, just terrible marriage. And immediately breaking the deal they had with Kiefer Sutherland's character, John, to, like, um, you know, be happy, which was the arrangement. Like, if you be happy, this, this wedding's great. I don't mind paying for any of it. And I just found that their values were really different to probably most of the people who'd be watching the film. Yeah. People get married for love and, and because they found someone they want to spend forever with rest of their lives. And just the fact that, they couldn't give it more than an evening. It was just crazy. Yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> it's really unrealistic. Yeah. Especially because they didn't argue the next day. There wasn't like, this isn't working because of this and this. It was, what did you expect? Yeah, you're right. Let's well, close we gave, the door. We gave it a shot. You yeah. know, it just seemed really bizarre dialogue. I completely agree. Yeah. It seemed like maybe they were both detached from reality. Yeah. And then you think, maybe he'll come back when the world is ending and stuff and he'll come and resolve things. But it's not a Hollywood no. movie in that sense. It's yeah. sort of... They gave it a shot, all right, take it easy, goodbye, off they go, which is, you know, strange. They didn't get a phone call. There was just nothing, no follow-up. Uh, yeah, and the world was non-existent. It was really those four people, wasn't it? And it? Just despite being a massive house, it was so claustrophobic. Like, and she even tries to escape in that little buggy mm, and doesn't get anywhere. Cart? Yeah, the golf cart. Um, and he's just like, wow. Uh, and as a viewer, you're really trapped with these people in a small, small room. Yeah. The comment, oh, sorry, the planet's coming. Yeah. The, um, the escape to the golf course after she leaves him in the room, uh, she goes off and she sleeps with Tim. Yep. The guy who's coming after her for a tagline. 
kind of knocks him down. Uh, a lot of shoulder action in yeah. Kirsten Dunst's love scene there from a distance. So we're really sort of looking at it like, oh my gosh, is this really happening? And sure. you've almost got a squint to see it and go, oh, whoa, it is. Yeah, she's she's having sex with him. Yeah. For some reason, that didn't come as a big shock to me. I like felt like if the film threw anything at me, I, I could take it because you, at the beginning, um, she was just all over the place and anything that she was going to do to me just didn't seem like a big surprise. <laughs> you know, she, it just seemed accurate that that's what she was going to do. But I sort of felt like if she wanted to sleep with somebody, she was with her husband yeah. five minutes before that. Why didn't she sleep with him? Yeah. Wouldn't it have solved a lot of problems, made him happy about the wedding and the marriage and stuff? And to just sleep with this this random Tim dude whose last name we don't know, who yeah. gets fired because he can't get a tagline and stuff, just felt really out of place. Yeah. I don't feel like a depressed person would do that necessarily. You know, I, th- I feel like they would say, just leave me alone, or they would cry, or they would... I mean, this is generalizing, but I feel like it was bizarre and out of character for... Kirsten Dunst's character Justine yeah. to go from a scene where she could sleep with her husband uh, to a scene where she would sleep with a complete stranger on a golf course. Yeah, you know? no, well, to me, it felt accurate. It felt like yeah. something that she'd just do a spur of the moment. I don't know, maybe it's just out of screw this world, screw everything sort of thing. And Yeah, yeah. I guess at that point in the film, you don't really think about how she knows everything yeah. and how she, um, you know, may know the world is ending and that sort of stuff. So I guess... Um, but I'm not sure I liked it. Yeah. Again, it was very ugly. <laughs> yeah, different sort of um, morals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People watching. Oh, definitely. Makes, Absolutely. It makes her very unlikable as a lead, which I feel like hurts the film a lot. I know we've seen films like uh, Chopper, for example, where a, a person's committing crimes and you don't like them and, and that sort of thing, and they're still a phenomenal kind of gritty film. I feel like in this one, I don't know, she's not likable, but she could have been more likable. Just an example, towards the end of the film, when she's saying this world is horrible and everything, she could have very easily said nice things so that everyone would die happy. She could have pretended that her marriage was going to work for a few days before the world ends. You know, It's like she, she wants everyone to be as miserable as she yeah. is because she has this knowledge, whereas she could be nice, couldn't she? When well, she, says, she did show a bit of a, a sympathetic side with the kid. True. Villain thing. Yeah, but you're right. Yeah, she wants to put everyone down. And that poor sister, she helped us so much, you know, put, put on that wedding, using her husband, uh, making her breakfast, uh, helping her into the bath. And yeah, as you say, she just throws it all in her face, like no gratitude at all. Like, yeah. The, um, the other thing about the Tim character is when the husband leaves, about 30 seconds later, he says, we have good sex. We're already pretty good. Why don't you, you know consider me a substitute kind of thing, which was the most insane <laughs> thing ever that he yeah. would just hit on this bride the day after her wedding. She's still married, you know, like, I, just uh, I think he really must weird. have really liked. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which explains why he went along with the, the golf sex scene. Um, so we've, we've talked about her condition. Another scene I wanted to talk about more was when she eats the meatloaf, which she supposedly loves. I thought she played that great. And where she said it tastes like ashes, you know, it was, was just sort of a horror, harrowing look into her mind and her condition and stuff. That scene I thought was phenomenal. It was great, yeah. Like I said, there were touches of an amazing performance. I just felt like it wasn't there all the time and that there have been sort of, you know, girl interrupted Angelina Jolie performances, which, sure. which have warranted like awards. 
I don't know. Maybe she was on the screen too much. Maybe we, yeah. maybe we should have not known where she was when she disappeared more. You know, maybe we instead of being with her every second. So maybe yeah. maybe we could have seen in the first part just Claire walking around doing things, and not know where she was. And then when she comes back, she's depressed, and you wonder. Then the audience doesn't know she was having a nap or a bath or whatever. You know, yeah. they just go, "Where was she?" And they're more sort of inquisitive about it. Maybe we got given too much information, and maybe we saw her too much. You know, less is more. Maybe with her performance. No, definitely. Um, at the stables before she goes for a ride with her sister on the horses, which we saw earlier, she says, uh, I tried Claire. And then the sister says, yes, you did. I disagree. I don't think she tried. (laughs) I don't think she gave it more than a few hours. As we've said, if why agree to this big fancy wedding besides the fact that, you know, the world will end. Why, why not just elope if you were in love, you know, if you wanted to get married, like, otherwise what's the point, you know? I mean, if you know the world is ending, why agree to get married in the first place? Was that where she whipped the um, the horse over and over again? Was that that scene? I think so, yeah. Not that it was related to that at all, but just the fact that she said she tried. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was her trying, and maybe that is a depressed person trying. Maybe that's what they're trying to say here, is that you can only give as much effort as you can give, but it just felt like the sister wouldn't agree. Oh, yeah. You know, from the sister who's not mentally ill, the Claire sister, she would say... You didn't try hard enough. I felt like it was really difficult dialogue, like to swallow, because I didn't believe it. And that was the beginning of part two, pretty much, wasn't it? Just before part two. Just before part two. I believe so. Oh, that's right. And then she gives that yell. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a quote from Lars von Trier. Yeah. And uh, I thought I'd just read it out. We'd have a little discussion about it. I made the film with a pure heart, and I couldn't have done it better. And I think everyone did a good job. But when I see clips from it. I think, I'd be damned. That was unpleasant. I'm usually madly in love with everything I do. I'm probably the most self-satisfied director you'll ever meet. But this film is perilously close to the aesthetic of American mainstream films. The only redeeming factor about it, you might say, is that the world ends. And um, that was an article written by Per Jule Carlsen on the uh, Danish Film Institute website. And for me, that says that Lars von Trier is not happy with the film. No, yeah, I've, I've heard Lars von Trier himself isn't um, happy with this film at all. And looking back at his work, um, yeah, like I'd, I'd definitely say it w- definitely wasn't his top, definitely wasn't his top film. What it's I, not his best, it's sure. Not, it's, not, it's not his best, um, for sure. But yeah, I can see those patches. Like he's not happy, happy with special effects. He, I, I'm positive he didn't want to go there at all. Um, just something so distracting and unfamiliar ground. He's classically trained as well, mm. um, like his hero, Carl Theodore Dreyer. But, yeah, like, yeah, he, he um, made this film with all his craftsmanship, but definitely his passion wasn't there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it just became something he didn't like. Like, maybe he thought, obviously, you don't start a project if you don't want to do it. No. But it just evolved into something he was less interested in. And maybe... That was partly to do with the script, and maybe that was partly to do with the special effects, but all those little things he didn't like, I guess, have come back. And where he says that it was unpleasant, like, gosh, that was unpleasant, the thing that he saw, I think he's also talking about the characters. Sure. Because, you know, the most unlikable cast possibly ever. (laughs) All right, we'll talk about part two, which is titled Claire. At the beginning of this part, Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought, obviously... This is strange, having parts. We've talked about that. I've talked about Dogville. Um, 
a lot of exposition about the planet at the beginning and that they say it will hit in five days' time. You're all sort of setting up for the end of the film mm -hmm. and melancholia coming and colliding with Earth. So um, really sort of interesting. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland coming off as kind of mean and not very likable as well. Do you want to talk about his character? Yeah, like he, uh, he, again, he's a wealth guy who prides himself on the 18 holes that the golf course has. Um, he's obviously very intelligent, obviously a man of drive. He was very nasty to his servants as well. No, you don't get to touch this, you know, as he's carrying his telescope. Just quickly, apparently I read something about the 18 holes that there are 19 holes. Okay. Yeah, that at the beginning in slow motion, though I didn't spot it, apparently the hole she's trudging through when she's walking and falling into the ground is the 19th hole. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I didn't give it too much thought. I just thought, oh, that's bizarre. Why does he keep saying how many holes does this golf course have? 18 holes. Okay, fair enough. And you, you come to believe that, but I didn't notice that there were 19 holes. It's like the 19th hole in golf is supposed to be where you go and have a drink at the clubhouse. That's right. the 19th hole. So you sort of, let's all go to the 19th hole. You'll go have a drink. Yeah. So it's like an after party or an afterwards kind of event, I guess. So um, is the 19th hole the planet hitting or something? I mean, I don't know. That's it's a weird sort of analogy. <laughs> it is. Back to Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, yeah, and he's a loving father. Like, he loves his kid um, and everything like that. Uh, but with how he's nasty to the servants, with how he's um, nasty to, you know, a lot of people around him, uh, yeah, he, he, was, he became as unlikable as everyone else, and then he kills himself at the end? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He um, went and took the pills that his wife had and seemingly took way too many of them, killed himself, didn't leave a suicide note. Didn't leave much explanation as to why he did that. I mean, I feel like it's obviously, to me, the fact that he was wrong. Because he says there's not a chance of it hitting. He's prepared for no electricity. He's got supplies. He promises his and wife. And he was right in a way. Like, the planet did go back and then came, came up back again. again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, had he made his wife feel better, maybe he wouldn't have felt so guilty. But she was obviously not dealing with it very well. And, and he just gave up right away, yeah. Yeah, I guess another way to look at it is she's got a lot to lose. She's rich and she's got all this stuff. Does Kirsten Dunst have anything to lose? You know, she already knows. She doesn't mind. have a kid or anything, yeah. No, and this one has a family. She has wealth, the estate. You know, she's got presents, you know. Whereas Kirsten Dunst, if she disappeared, there would be a funeral. The people who I guess were at the wedding would be there and that would be it. Mm -hmm. Whereas she feels, you know, she's got to raise the sun. She's got a lot more going on. Um, did you, have you seen the film Blue, the Three yep. Colors trilogy? Yep, I've seen Did you see it. sort of similarities? I know there's a lot of blue in the film Blue. Yep. Also. Do you mean cinematography-wise or theme-wise? Theme-wise, I guess, because in the in the film she's lost her, in Blue, Juliet Binoche, her character has lost her husband and her child, and, um, you know, is sort of depressed Piecing and stuff. life back together. Yeah, and also isolates herself a lot. I sort of thought of that film a little bit while I was watching this one. It jumped to mind just based on the colour initially because Melancholia Planet is just a deep sort of blue. Yeah, yeah, it came across blue, but no, nah, no, nah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, well, anyway, maybe just me. Um, they had some really nice shots in the second part with, like, the, the double moon kind of look where there was a moon and, and a that's planet. when the special effects really came in yeah. yeah 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 i didn't i didn't really mind the special yeah, it was things. good it was good I, th I thought it was as good as armageddon you know despite lies one tree not liking that sort of element mm. really looked cool yeah no i quite enjoyed it um so kirsten dunst we'll talk about her character a little bit is this the big scene 
No, not quite. <laughs> you want to jump straight to that? <laughs> no, no, that's right. <laughs> I just wanted to throw a quote at you. If she says, the earth is evil, we don't need to grieve for it, nobody will miss it, life on earth is evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says, all that stuff, life is on earth and not for long. I'm reading into that that she obviously thinks the world is wicked. And deserves its end. Deserves its, yeah, the, the finality that's coming. But again, it wasn't a very nice way of comforting her sister. No. It's completely detached from everything. If you had told me at the end of this film that she was an alien or something, I might have gone, oh, well, that, that, <laughs> well, that explains a lot. Yeah. yeah. Or that she'd been brainwashed by a cult or something. Like, they felt like this was really sort of a morbid character and just, oh, I, I didn't like her. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I liked the film. I thought the film was nice. I was like, oh, this impending... I just There's a few too many things. They, they told us the planet was going to hit at the beginning. That crushed it for me. I was like, okay, well, now I'm just waiting for that to happen. Yeah. Then every time anybody says the planet won't hit, like Kiefer Sutherland's character, I'm like, well, you're wrong. Every time she's doing something, I'm thinking, what's the point if the world's going to end? You know, what are we doing this for? Why, yeah. why are we seeing all this stuff? Why are we watching this? Yeah, why does yeah. this film go for more than two hours? You know, like it's just going on and on and on. The beginning was very long with all those long shots and everything. And I just... Then to say that everyone on Earth is evil, they're not all evil. Like, it, there were lots of things... There were a lot of nicer people than you. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, everybody at this wedding and everybody in rela- relation to Kirsten as this character that we meet, mm-hmm. we don't really care for. So in this film, everyone we meet is evil, I guess. Everyone has their own problems. Life on Earth is evil. Life, life is short, I guess. Yeah, we can- no. Look at that way. Yeah, the, no, definitely. But again, like uh, what added to the ugliness uh, for me was just how she, like her sister, that was in time of need. Her sister really needed someone to talk to. She lost her husband. You know, mm-hmm. the end is coming. Yeah. And yeah, and she just throws She's, it all in her face. And all she wanted was to have some wine and wait out of the terrace to spend it with a loved one. Yeah. And she doesn't like that. And, you know, this is the girl who's helped her when she's sick, who threw this big wedding, helps her into the bath and everything. Yeah. 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 The fact that she says, I just want it to be nice. You know, she's accepted the fact that the world will end and that, you know, let's make it as nice as we possibly can. But even then, she completely cuts her down and she swears at her and she says, F that and stuff. And maybe that's the real raw performance. Well, we just meet in the toilet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's just really full on. So the 678 beans that everybody had to guess at the wedding. What do you make of this? Oh, was, like just like she said, it was trivial. Oh, how she knows? Oh, oh it's trivial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just so pointless. Um, because uh, at that point, the wedding has. There ended. was an implication that she knows things. Yeah, like she's a genius underneath, or there's a, like a is it telekinesis or a like psychic, a psychic level? Yeah, like psychic she knows level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, I thought was really interesting. And I'm really sort of pleased that that element was in the film because. And you wanted it to delve more into something. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean. It had this really sort of isolating feel, the whole film, and a kind of cabin fever vibe. They're all stuck there, you know, like they can't escape, as you mm-hmm. said. And it's a little bit like The Shining, you know, where yeah, they're all no. sort of trapped um, in this sort of place and, you know, with a murderer, in this case, the, the thing that's going to kill them is a planet. And to have, like, that kind of supernatural element of her knowing things, it gives you almost an advantage. But she can't stop a planet... So it doesn't matter. Yeah. I just, I was really, it pained me to listen to her cut down her sister and ruin her marriage and all that sort of stuff because I thought to myself, why don't, even though you know the world is ending, why don't you want your actions to make everyone happy at the end? It's like 
when people are on their deathbed and you might lie to them to tell them something they want to hear so they can die happy, you know, sort of thing. Rather than being so blunt. Yeah. yeah. And that feels like just horrible. Like, you don't want the last thing for them to think as their mind shuts off or as they die to be this, like, horrible thing. And, yeah, the way she just shut her sister down was, was just horrid. And I don't know if such an unlikable character can win the Oscar. An Oscar, yeah. I don't know. We'll see what happens, I guess. <laughs> um, as we sort of talked about, there was a lot of emphasis on being happy in this film. I wanted to touch on the fact that Lars von Trier and Kirsten Dunst, Dunst both dealt with depression. How uh, Kirsten Dunst was treated for depression in early 2008, and um, she'd been feeling low before admission, and uh, in March 2008, she checked out of treatment and began filming All Good Things with Ryan Gosling. And um, basically, she went on to identify uh, with this character, surely, because of the depression. And Lars von Trier, who's written this film, also having dealt with depression, would have given them a first-hand look. Now, whether or not I understand and recognize what these characters are going through, I guess depressed people would, because you've got a lead actress and a director who have both dealt with it. Yeah, no, they're, and they're going into familiar ground. That's why, like, for someone who hasn't gone through depression, a lot of this seems alien, but I'll just have to take take their word for it that what they're projecting on screen is definitely accurate to how they felt, what yeah. depression was like, the mood yeah. swings, the ugliness. And credit to them, they, as we're discussing now, like, they really pull you into that that train of thought, like, you know, just like, wow, these characters are awful. The world is awful, you know, at the end, you yeah. know, good riddance. <laughs> I guess depression sort of, for me, makes me think of like a hopelessness, whereas she was just still doing the things like she got married and like she was, you know, active for a while until the second part in all of everything that was going on. And then... I mean, I don't know. From what I understand from looking at that film, depression is brief moments of ups, but lots and lots of downs to the point where it just keeps going lower and lower. And no matter how far up they feel, it, it, just, always, goes it always goes back down okay. even further. Yeah. Well, yeah and if that's true, that's... That's not a bad portrayal. Yeah, that's a great portrayal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she definitely had something to draw from her own personal sure. experience. I just wanted to touch on the fact that both of them had dealt with depression yeah. and, and that sort of thing. Um, we should talk about the director, Lars von The director, von Lars von Trier. Um, Danish filmmaker, uh, classically trained. His hero is a director called Carl Theodor Dreyer, probably the greatest director uh, from Denmark um, ever. Uh, he, like, this is how much uh, Lars von Trier loves uh, Carl Theodor Dreyer. Like, uh, Lars von Trier is a huge, huge fan. Um, one of the best films ever made in all of cinema is Audet. Um, if I'm pronouncing correctly, O R D T. I, I, I can't, I can't um, push this enough for you guys to get the Criterion edition if you can of the DVD. But it, it's a, a deeply religious film, deals um, with heavy, heavy themes. And at the opening of that film, uh, the suit that uh, Carl Theodore Dreyer wore, um, Lars von Trier bought it from an auction and wore it um, at the opening of one of, his, one of his films. Like, he's a huge, huge fan of his. His best film or his most renowned film is Breaking Waves, Breaking the Waves. And if any of you have seen that, you'll know a lot of similar scenes, similar depictions, the, the handheld camera, the chaotic love scenes and all that is, you know, deep in this film. Lars von Trier is very controversial uh, his interviews are insane, <laughs> like he's renowned for controversy, but 
But nonetheless, like the reason he's been able to work for so long is that he's extremely talented. Um, he brings actors to these great roles. A lot of times when he announces a project, although actors hate, uh, there's been a lot of stories where actors just won't work with him. Like he's just really difficult to work with. Um, the, the reason why a lot of people will will put up their hands for it, despite all that difficulty, is that it is an option for Academy Award winning performance. This is something I might be remembered forever. Yeah. Um, you know, and things like that. It's interesting at the uh, at the press conference or the release, the press release for um, uh, Melancholia, what he said in an interview, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people have known about this, but what he said about Hitler, what he said about Germany, um, I, I don't know how much of that is true, but um, here's a clip. Uh, a little soundbite of what exactly he said at that press conference. What can I say? Um, I I understand Hitler, but uh, I I I I I think he did some wrong things. Yes, absolutely. But 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 I I, I can see him sitting in in his bunker in the end. But I, there will come a point at the, at the end of this. That will come. I will. I will. No, I'm just saying that. That that uh, I understand. I, I think I understand the man. Uh, he's not what we, you would call a good guy, but I. Um, yeah, I. I understand much about him, and I sympathize with him a little bit. Yes, not. But come on, I, I'm not for the Second World War, and I'm not against Jews. Susanna Beers. No, no, not even Susanna Beer. Um, that was also a joke. I am, of course, uh, very much for Jews. No, not too much, because Israel is a pain in the ass. But uh, still, um, how can I get out of this sentence? <laughs> so, you, you saw how uncomfortable, like, obviously you guys didn't see that, but uh, Kirsten Dunst was very uncomfortable. The clip is available on YouTube. I yeah, think. Um, yeah. just uh, search uh, Lars von Trier, Melancholia, and you'll <laughs> there's the first thing you'll see. Yeah. And they were actually wanting to pull the film uh, from the film festival because of that, and they fought, I guess, because of the pride of artists and all that, they fought for that to remain. But uh, definitely that bespeaks a lot of Lars von Trier's... Um, uh, Psychology. He's just. I don't think he can take anything for word. Like uh, in, in his interviews, it's just so strange. Like, <laughs> like how he says, "How do I get out of this sentence?" <laughs> yeah, just says the end. But yeah, he's he's really talented. You can see that throughout Melancholia. He's a super talented director, and he brings those actors to realms you'd never even you know you'd never see in a Hollywood film. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like having controversy like that is going to ruin the film's chances of um, bigger awards. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking... Should... <laughs> Good luck in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with an uh, attitude like that. It sort of crushes and he hated a little Israel. bit. <laughs> yeah, it's too much. That's insane. Yeah. Um, who is um, the director? I'm drawing a blank about it. Who did The Pianist? Oh, The Pianist. Uh, is that a New Zealand film? No, no, no it's not that. This was the... Oh, Roman the Roman Polanski. Polanski. Sure, yeah. yeah. Roman Sorry, Polanski. I'm thinking of The Piano. Yeah. Yeah, Roman Polanski... Um, won the Oscar for Best Director, though, for The Pianist. And this was at a time where he um, was facing charges from uh, underage girls and scandals. And um, I feel like it's sort of... Well, just think about it. I guess if Roman Polanski can still win under those circumstances, I guess that says maybe Lars von Trier can too. I'll have to put a... Par just because of the theme, I have to put a parallel with Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. 
um, and his anti-Semite sort of views when he was drunk and he got arrested. Yeah. He didn't stand a chance. He was, he was pretty much gone. Like, but he didn't have anything sort of amazing that had come out at didn't that he, point. Didn't he have... Um, this was post... Apocalypto? Oh, no, post well, Passion of the Christ anyway. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't think just because of that theme, uh, just because, yeah, of that, <laughs> what he said about Israel, I, I don't think he's got a chance. I think Kirsten Dunst will. Um, I think but, she'll be nominated. Yeah, I think she'll be nominated. Yeah, yeah. If I can be perfectly honest, my money is on uh, Meryl Streep playing Margaret Thatcher in a film called The Iron Lady. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. some uh, clips and the trailer and everything have sort of come out for that one. Hasn't yet been released in Australia. But um, she looks like a shoe-in, if you ask me, for this one. And that's that's where my money will go. Yeah. We'll probably do a podcast about uh, our Oscar predictions. Sure. We're doing our Golden Globe one. That's coming up. But, um, and that'll uh, parallel the Oscars, sure. Yeah. Well, the Golden Globes, there's a lot more categories. Like, you get two best films rather than one. Yeah. So. The Oscars are a bigger deal. Um, so you've seen a lot of Lars von Trier's films? I've only seen Breaking um, Waves, uh, Dogville. I think that's about it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if I've actually seen more. Mm. But, yeah, I've seen a lot of Carl Theodore Dreyer's films, and he loves that director, obviously, and a similar theme. So, yeah. Yeah. I've only seen uh, Dogville and Mandalay besides this film. Okay, sure. And obviously those ones are more experimental, like they're on a stage and... Everyone's pretending to go through doors and stuff. Very interesting films. Dogville, I think, the superior film, if uh, you guys are interested. Yeah, I'd highly recommend Dogville. I thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to touch back on the whole, um, the parts again, the fact that this film was in two parts. Again, why don't we have three parts? Because a traditional story is a beginning, middle, three and act. end. Yeah. Three-act structure. We had two, and then the world ends, I guess, kind of thing. So, and unnecessary too, as well. Yeah, having the title cards at all. It did, there, there was a divide. Like I did feel wedding, post wedding sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But that's just the halfway point of the film. Yeah. If you remove both the title cards, it, it plays feels better. like a movie. Yeah, yeah. And as well, they didn't match the opening title card, which, as I said, looked like smeared poo. <laughs> you know, kind of just a ridiculous. I don't know. I don't know what that could have been. Like, I'd love to hear what they actually did to yeah. make that, like, title card because it just didn't seem to fit with the rest of the film at all. Like, jarring and unnecessary. I thought, um, as well, part two made part one seem really lame. It's watching part two and so much happens, it's like a film in itself. Mm -hmm. um, part one is, like, shaky camera work at the wedding and just kind of walking around. If you just take performance out of it for a second... Because Kirsten Dunst is all over the first part performance-wise. She's a lot less in the second part. If you take out the performance and you look at it like a plot, like a story, the first part is the wedding. And the wedding didn't work out, and that's it. There's not much to it. It's just sort of a whole series of, you know, events. And it was Absolutely, really... Absolutely, yeah. It just plays like a setup to part two. Like, here's all the stuff you need to know about Kirsten Dunst's character. And then part two is like, here's watch, the rest of the film. Yeah, watch them die. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm just going to touch on it again. Five stars, do you think? <laughs> no. No, not five stars. It's still a good movie. Mm. Uh, but no, I, I wouldn't put up there with, like, uh, No Country for Old Men or or anything like that. Yeah, I do agree, though. Five that stars. This would know. be amazing to watch with Tree of Life, like, back-to-back. -back. An amazing couple of films. And yeah. Tree, Tree of Life's out on DVD this month, so people can sort of yeah. um, check that out before checking out Melancholia. No, definitely. So the film is, I found sort of slow, lots of unlikable characters in the nicest possible way. Do you not want the world to end and all these characters to die? Uh, 
I no, I wouldn't want the world to end. Like in this world, though, in, not, the, in not this our world. world, no, I wouldn't like the the world to end. Like there's still always hope, but yeah. everything like that. I would have liked to have seen it. You know, the planet just skip past, and oh, we've got a second chance. <laughs> I will change my ways. <laughs> All right. Well, Kirsten Dunst won the best actress at Cannes Film Festival. Um, Excellent. She'd previously been. Uh, Highly acclaimed in Interview with the Vampire when she was young. She was in Sofia Coppola's Virgin Suicides, which I thought she did a great job in. And um, again, Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette. Um, but this one's getting her the most sort of buzz. Is it because of the nude scene, Lloyd? I don't think it's because of the nude scene. Let's talk uh, about the nude scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, she walks out. Um, and the, it's all seen through her sister's eyes. Like the sister catches her as she's walking out at night um, and follows her, you know, what's she doing, what's she up to? Yep. And she walks out into the garden looking out at this beautiful earth that's coming to coming to hit earth, <laughs> this beautiful planet that's coming to hit earth. Yep. And she walks down to um, near the uh, river, is it, or near the Some kind creek? of stream. Yeah, creek. Some, yeah, some sort of stream. And she's basically naked and she just sits there as if poised, ready for the planet to make love to her. Yeah, um, she lies back with her arms above her head. Yeah, exposing everything. Like completely, she's completely naked. Nude. Yeah, yeah. Um, for Kirsten Dan- Dunst fans, this is a must. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it's really like dwelt upon. Like there, there's a fair bit of time given to that moment. Like a beautiful long shot that echoes a uh, 18th century painting, if you like. Yeah. And um, she just opened herself up, pretty much. Uh, I felt to the planet, like she's willing it to come to her, sort of thing. She's drawing it. Towards yeah. Her, um, yeah. I didn't feel like that was like, oh, she got a kit off. Let's give her the Academy Award, you know, or anything like that. No, I, I, I just thought, wow, she's brave enough to go all the way. You know, that's great. Um, and I thought it fit well with the with the scene. It didn't distract too much. It just felt with everything else that we've seen. She made love randomly to that guy. Yeah. She peed in the, you know, the um, on the golf on course. the golf course. You know, it just felt like, oh yeah. This is another thing she's doing. Yeah, this doing. is another thing she's doing. <laughs> yeah. It's difficult to get inside the head of her character, though, isn't yeah. it? All of the sort of random events and stuff. Again, I, I, I've never had depression or anything like that, so I can only assume that that's accurate. And as you said, Kirsten Dunst and uh, Lars von Trier have gone through depression, so it must be must have ground. Yeah. yeah. I think the scene sort of represents her embracing the end. She's If she does know things, if she does you know, know this planet will hit the Earth, and end all life on, on Earth. It feels like she's saying, great, bring it on, because she's known this for a long time, and yeah. seemingly that's what's brought about her depression. So if she's... Say say she realised at 15 years old that this was going to happen. She'd been depressed every day since realising that would happen. And instead of saying, I've got to live every day to the fullest and, and enjoy it, she's gone the other way and said... Who cares what I do? It doesn't really matter. Nothing I do matters. The world is horrible. Exactly. Yeah. But I think in her experience, the world is horrible. It's her saying, like, everyone I know and everyone I've met sucks. Everybody is evil. And it's because she's got this horrible mom. She's got, like, you know, you saw what Kiefer Sutherland did. He um, kills himself, doesn't even talk to his wife. She's all anxious and says things like she hates her sister and stuff. And and, uh, John Hurt can't, even if John Hurt was somebody she loved, he can't remember her. Everybody's Betty to him. You know, her world is filled with people, all these characters who she hates. So she's embracing the end and seemingly doing it naked. So, yeah, I wanted to touch on 
uh, whether or not nudity equals Oscar bars and equals Oscar nominations because you've got um, Kirsten Dunst in this film who's getting a lot of buzz and I'm not at all surprised, you know, there's lots of elements that besides the nudity that basically constitutes an award, yeah, yeah. give her credibility. But you had Halle Berry winning um, the Oscar for Monsters Ball in 2000. Which wasn't a great movie. Um, yeah, no, you're right. Which, you know, she had many kind of nude moments with uh, Billy Bob Thornton. You had, uh, in 2003, Naomi Watts got nominated for 21 Grams, in which she had several love scenes with Sean Penn. Um, last year, we had Michelle Williams for Blue Valentine, and she got naked in that a little bit. Natalie Portman, a very kind of confronting black swan. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Which she actually won the Oscar for. There's many sort of um, sexual scenes in that film. I won't get too far into it, but it seems like a bit of a pattern to me that it, if you have a great film to make it sort of Oscar-worthy, it wouldn't hurt to have that scene in it. Yeah. I mean, the people who are deciding, maybe they all want to see these people naked. It seems rare that men get naked in films as yeah. well. No, that's always been a taboo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, it just seems to be the way the Academy is structured, maybe, but um, I don't think she'll win. I don't think nudity equals Oscar. Yeah. I don't think that they give them to people just because they get nude. I think... Um, but it definitely brings a stigma to the film. Like, if you have a great or big actress, a really beautiful actress, and you can say, oh, no, she gets nude in this film. You will draw a huge percentage. Yeah. yeah, it, yeah. It, I mean, that's been kind of sex sells, really. Yeah. I mean, that's been a phrase used for years and years, you know, and there's something to it. So, All right, Lloyd, so final thoughts on Melancholia? Yeah, I, I liked it. It's great to see a movie. It's definitely not one of Lars von Trier's uh, best films. It's definitely not a great film. I don't know what all this talk is. About having, you know, getting five stars and stuff I, like I that. I feel like a five-star film is a perfect film that you wouldn't change a thing from. Yeah. And I feel like there are lots of little holes. Even though they're small, I think the film could be trimmed down that some things don't need to be in there. Yeah, that's right. But uh, it's great drama, great acting. Um, yeah, go check it out. The special effects are brilliant as well. Um, yeah, it's if you want to... Um, see a film that's completely, like, with Armageddon themes, but completely different to a Michael Bay film. Check it out. Yeah, a lot of people thinking Michael Bay sucks. <laughs> All right, well, uh, big shout-out to Ryan Gooley, who suggested today's film, Melancholia. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this discussion. And uh, if you head over to our Facebook page, like it, become a fan, uh, you can suggest to us films that you want us to watch and discuss in the future. So coming up next time, we have a discussion of Christmas films. And uh, Lloyd and I will also be sitting down and discussing the Golden Globe Awards when the nominations are announced in December. And we'll be picking all the winners in all the categories and there'll be some kind of aftermath to see how we did, I guess. <laughs> Probably just a short one we throw up just to, um, you know, discuss how we went and what we thought after the actual awards. So you can find us on iTunes by searching for Podme if you can. And remember when you get your episodes through iTunes to subscribe. It's just on the left and it's all free. And uh, if you have time, review our podcast. Uh, if you don't have time to do that, why don't you just rate our podcast? There's uh, f up to five stars on the bottom <laughs> right. And uh, just, you know, rate as you feel, I guess. And uh, just a quick mention as well, in 2012, Lloyd and I will be starting to do more interviews on this podcast. And if you're a filmmaker or an actor and you have an upcoming film you'd like us to interview you about, uh, we're open to it and uh, looking for subjects to interview in 2012.
All right. So bye for now. See you guys. All the best.